Welcome back to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host who knows this podcast was built on the shoulders of two people with crackpot ideas, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I don't know that you've ever had an introduction that was more true than this one (laughs) today. Our podcast was absolutely built on crackpot ideas. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's how we roll. For sure. Well, we're doing uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid today from 1992. I'm super excited about this one. And we have a guest star. We do. Our guest star is Ashley Cook. Ashley Cook is a TV writer who is currently on strike with the the WGA, uh, which we thank her for. Her writing credits include ABC's General Hospital, where she was nominated for a Daytime Emmy Award, and the digital comedy series What's Up North. Additionally, she's worked in production on ABC's The Middle and Mixed Dish. She earned her MFA from Spalding University and has lived Yay. in LA since 2015. Ashley, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. No, we're so gl- we're so glad to have you. We're uh, super excited to have you. Yes. This is going to this is going to be a good one. Although I do feel like I should let people know Ashley did not choose this movie. Uh we, we we chose her for this one. How are you feeling about it? I'm feeling good. You gave me you gave me options. I did give you options. But, um, and I picked this one um out of those options because this was actually a movie I watched a lot as a kid. Um my parents would rent it from Blockbuster all the time. And I think it was just one of the few movies that all three of us could agree on. And they were just like, please sit in front of the TV, watch a movie. Uh, Yeah, I'm too young to know what this blockbuster is that you guys talk about. But but that's Gen Z for you. (laughs) (laughs) Let me tell you about the good old days, Larry. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Please do. Oh, I do miss miss blockbuster. Okay. Well, let's get some key facts to get this party started. Yes, please. So this is the second science fiction comedy family film in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise. Honey, I Shrunk uh, the Kids comes out in 1989. We've covered that on this podcast. And this sequel, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, comes out three years later. So the movie started out as a movie called Big Baby about a toddler that terrorizes Las Vegas. But I think when Disney saw the possibilities, they were like, you know what? What if we, and we're already playing with size, what if we just make it for, for this one? So works out. Sure. Uh, I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah, Yeah. I'm with you. So the movie, the family has moved to Vista Del Mar, uh, which means view of the sea, which is funny because they're now in Las Vegas. (laughs) Um, They filmed this movie in Simi Valley, but the casino locations, Fremont Street, Wet n' Wild, those are all filmed on location in Las Vegas. So I had lots of questions about two-year-old actors. uh, So I did a little digging here. To get the two-year-old to laugh, cry, sing, and do choreography for specific shots was really a trick. Daniel and Joshua Shalikar were two-year-old twins from New Jersey. The filmmaking team had a baby wrangler (laughs) and a social worker. They shot all morning. The plan initially was to shoot all morning with one child, break for a nap and lunch, and then switch the twins in the afternoon. And sometimes their attention span was only like 30 seconds. So there's a line in the movie about, you know, you can't get anybody to do anything for longer than 30 seconds. Right. That's that's actually true. Uh, The team mapped out play scenarios to create the behaviors that they needed to see with the kids on screen. But the boys and the boys were great until they got on set. They were distracted by the lights and the noise and the people, a lot like, you know, any other actor, right? Um, So there were new diversions that had to be dreamed up every day. And they discovered very quickly that when the children got to be together on the set, that things went a lot better for the production. And they really loved seeing themselves on film. Like, again, again, I want to do it again. So they started incorporating that into their their uh, day of days, I guess. They also learned to say no more blue screen and I want to go to the trailer. Which is important. (laughs) One thing, one thing that I did notice is I feel like a lot of the scenes involving Adam are Mm -hmm. improvised to a degree, which, which is to say like Rick Moranis will be like, Hey, uh, I'm going to sing you your song. And 
And Adam will say, sing me the ABC song. And Rick Moranis, like, quickly, because the plot point is not that he sings ABC, he'll sing the ABC song very quickly to get to Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, which is going to come back again and again and again. And I feel like a lot of those scenes is the kid is just being the kid, and Rick Moranis is playing with the kid, knowing that he's got to hit certain beats to move the story along. Like, and I, I want to eat in a, like, I want to eat in a restaurant. And he's like, oh, okay, well, like, how about if I'm your waiter? And how, I mean, he's like totally improving with him and it works really well. The duck, the duck is not good today, right? I right. feel like that's an improv line. I, I guess that's another, that's another scene. And I, what I think is actually great about it is he is, Rick Moranis is so charming in his interactions with Adam. Uh, like, like if you told me this is actually Rick Moranis's kid, I know, I know it's not, but I would be like, he, he really is talking the way to a kid, like the way you love a kid you're playing with. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so That's an interesting point. Cause, um, I was very confused by the ABC twinkle, twinkle, little star scene. Cause I'm like, they're the same melody. Right. So why is they, it no good? Like, yeah. Why, what are they doing here? And I was struggling to figure out if that was just somebody having fun. But when you say maybe it was improvised, that makes so much sense to me. I think if they cut it, if they cut it, yeah, if they cut it, I think it would be like, I thought, well, you could have cut that, but I'm like, it's so sweet. Like it's so, it is authentic and very sweet. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad they left that in. And also if you've already shot the scene with the giant bunny and had Rick Moranis do twinkle, twinkle, little star, and now you're coming back around and the kids like do ABCD. What do you, what do you do? Right. Uh, You you can't go back to the giant bunny scene again. You got to make it work. Right, right, right. So giant Adam, uh, if we see him from the back was played by actor Alex Daniels in a giant toddler suit. And he studied tapes of the Shalikar twins. He learned their mannerisms to copy them on screen. And this suit had a vest of ice water to cool things down, but sometimes it didn't work so well in the desert heat. And so sometimes he'd be like trying to get out of the suit and they filmed it as a tantrum, which I think is funny. Uh, But everything worked together in the end because this movie, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, brought in uh, $96 on a $32 million budget budget at the box office so holy it was, cow this, that's amazing it's a big this is a big movie in in 1992 for sure uh the honey i shrunk the kids movie set adventure was already open at disney mgm which is now disney hollywood studios in 1990 and if you remember this movie set adventure you'll miss it dearly it was you, so great they're giant ants there were these explorable ant hills there was a spider web maze there was a giant dog nose that would miss you there was an oatmeal cream pie, and my favorite, the plant root mazes. They were all fantastic. No, I remember that. I wish my kids could have gone on that one because I know I know my youngest in particular would have loved that maze. Super, super fun. So because of its success, Epcot opened the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience attraction in November of 1994, with similar attractions opening in Disneyland at Anaheim, Disneyland Tokyo, Disneyland Paris in the ni- late 90s. So if you remember Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, I missed that attraction as well. I I, I think that replaced Captain EO, if I'm remembering it did. correctly. Yes. And the only yes. thing that if you if there's only one little bit left of it, which is if you go on the Imagination Institute ride uh, with mm-hmm. Figment, you can see a door that says that Wayne Selinski at, at one point was the resident right. scientist. Yeah, that's about it. It's 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 been wiped. But that was yeah, a fun, that right. was fun. It's super sad that this has been wiped, I think, because I think it's a fun franchise. So uh, in November of 1993, the LA Times shared a story regarding a controversy surrounding this movie. A jury ordered Disney to pay $300,000 to Paul Alter, the producer The Price is Right. Alter claimed there were 17 places of similarity between his copyrighted 12-page treatment and Honey, I Blew Up the Kid. Now, Alter pitched the treatment to Disney in 1980, but it was rejected. Alter's lawyer claimed the first draft of the screenplay involved a baby growing to a gigantic size because of a genetic accident, the same as in Alter's treatment, and the jury was swayed, and so the settlement was reached. Mm, interesting. So, there it is. Yep. Yeah, I, I was I was thinking you were going to say the controversy was that people demanded their money back because they wanted to see a baby that got exploded. Uh, if you say <laughs> we're blowing up the kid, that doesn't mean he grows. 
No. I No, I was like the audacity of this title. Like if you haven't heard of Honey I Shrunk the Kids, which I guess it was, you know, it was a hit. So like right. you see you either know Honey I Shrunk the Kids and you can go there logically <laughs> the kid gets bigger or you see the poster, I'm assuming, right, with right. large baby. But I'm like if, you know, if those two things didn't exist. And you just said, I'm going to see honey. I blew up the kid. Like my mind's going really, you're going to see what, right. Maybe what happened? So to in the 19, kid? in 1992, the vernacular though, is blowing something up. If you're blowing it up, you're using a Xerox machine to make, to enlarge something. Oh, go take that and blow it up. So that means to make it bigger. Uh, so it's one of those things that doesn't translate well over time, I think. I, I think of the Simpsons yeah. fan in our audience will, will agree with me when I say the proper word is embiggen. Honey, I embiggen to the kid, which is a, perfect, it is a perfectly cromulent word. Yeah, uh, yes, yes. You know I who mean, you honey, are who's am, listening to this. Uh, our, honey, I enlarged the kid doesn't have the same... Uh, uh, it's not as catchy. And honey, so. I grew up yes. the kid. Uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's get into plot. And as we always do, we start with the Manish Tana, which is what, where we ask why this movie starts where it starts. Like in the original movie, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Honey, but I Blew Up the Kid begins with a cartoon short, which sort of shows us in the beat, like, the movie's concept in in cartoon form. So we see mostly from the perspective of the cartoon version of Rick Moranis dealing with having a giant toddler. He gets knocked around a lot. Uh, it eventually escalates to the point where he's wearing armor, and that. Well, I don't. I don't know that I consider this a proper Manish Tana. It is how this movie opens. Although it's it's probably like, you know, it's not canonical events that happen in the movie. Uh, we did the same thing on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Why do you think we start with this short at the beginning? It's a good, it's a definitely a good question. I think the, my answer is probably going to be the same as it was before in that it's kind of a th- twofold. One, it's a throwback to the times where you would go to the movies and you'd have these sort of uh, cartoon experiences before, or like while the credits are rolling and you sit back, you know, it's time for you to sit back and relax and get your popcorn. And, you know, you know, the movie's going, but it also serves a purpose in that this movie could get scary for younger viewers. So if you kind of tell them that er- on the front end that everything's really going to be okay in an explicit way, that might be uh, at least get that in their subconscious somewhere. It might might lessen some of the blows that are coming. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I also think it's going to be a bit before the kid becomes big enough to get to our premise. Right. Um, and so, if you've got a younger viewer who's who like can't wait for that to happen, here it is at the beginning. So let's get into the plot proper, uh, starting with some exposition here. We see that the Zelinskys are not living in the same house that they used to live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see a neighborhood. We see that the Zelinskys have a really weird sci-fi mailbox that, as far as I can tell, has a lot of sci-fi stuff on it that accomplishes nothing because it's really just <laughs> a mailbox. And all it does is allow the dog to get the mail and bring it back to the house. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, that's an accomplishment, though, right? It is, but it certainly seems like a complicated, you know what, no one is pushing the boundaries of mailbox science. That is, (laughs) that is definitely something the government needs to be funding more mailbox related engineering experiments. We haven't perfected the mailbox yet. But I think you're onto something, Larry, when you say it overcomplicates it, because I think what we're going to find out in this movie is that Wayne Zelensky is continuing to overcomplicate things that really aren't that complicated. That's part of his, that's part of how he, he rolls, right? And and in fact, he's very much a Rube Goldberg kind of scientist. Yes, yes. We, we see inside the house, like, it's like, if you guys remember the, the board game Mousetrap, Any, anyone, anyone mm-hmm. play that one where you're like assembling this of course, yeah. like, crazy set of like 
the you know the diver jumps onto this which sets <laughs> off which sets off the clock the clock goes off and it sends the marble down a chute that seems to be his whole house which would be a fun place to visit but i have to imagine uh like you would not want to live there but it also seems that everyone in the house has adjusted to the rhythms of this Rube Goldberg sort of house without even looking at it. They know where the trash can is going to be and they can just drop the trash in the trash can. Um, he, he, he sort of has tinkered with everything in the house. It's not sci-fi modern, but it right. is, a, it is like a marvel of, of engineering sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's, it's definitely more mechanical than like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, well, I noticed too that um, with the mailbox and then moving into the house, it kind of showed a progression from the first movie as to kind of like he's grown as a scientist. The house is functioning fairly well. Like, you know, Amy was cooking in the first one and now they have a giant toasting contraption. They have um, the kids aren't doing the chores. They have a big cart that's going around mopping things and um they even have a better system if they have an intercom and the first one weren't they like typing to each other right right, right. had his gloves on and was misspelling the whole thing so it's like it kind of shows that he has leveled up a bit in his sciencing that's a word right sciencing i love it (laughs) i I think it is and if it wasn't it is now Uh, but (laughs) I, i i will throw out here just a little bit this house would be enough to be a movie in and of itself Oh, uh, for sure. In fact, Andy, now that I'm saying that, we did this movie earlier this, yeah, in, Smart this House, season. Right? <laughs> we did Smart House. Uh, so I guess Disney does know that. Uh, getting into characters, uh, we see the Selinsky family is getting ready because Amy is going off to college. Uh, so mom and Amy are, are packing up the car. There's a little friction between mother and daughter. But also, Wayne is going to be in charge of Nick, who's now a teen. And Adam, who is brand new post post uh, the first Honey movie, um, and like you get you get the vibe. Hey, mom's going away from the weekend, and will dad be up to the challenge of handling the two boys? And then, so I'm, I'm heading us towards an inciting incident. Mm-hmm. One could argue that the inciting incident of this movie is mom leaves and dad's in charge. I don't know that it is the inciting incident of the movie, but let's 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 say for the moment that it's not. Okay. Wayne then realizes he's late for work and he takes the kids to work with him. Uh but he's well, not not quite. He drops Nick. Sorry, I'm getting a little confused. He drops Nick off at where Nick works at a water park. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but where where and then we switch sort of to Nick's perspective. We see that Nick has a crush on a girl. Mm-hmm. By the way, we never come back to the water park. Oh. And don't you think there should be a scene in this movie where the giant baby goes to this water park that we set up in the first in the first act? I mean, that would be awesome. And I keep thinking about how they would do that. And it's probably like, they were probably like, that's really expensive. Let's not ever go back there again. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> and I, I just, I don't understand. I don't understand why we've got this location, but whatever. There's a lot. Or just I the don't... lack of control um, and they're shooting on location. So it could be a little, little tricky, maybe. I mean, I have a theory, but it's. Oh yeah. Hit uh, it. Hit it. Hit well, it. Because we're theory. introduced, we're introduced to Carrie Russell purely through the male gaze, right? Like oh, she's a beautiful girl in a bathing right. suit coming off a water slide. Like, um, mm. so it is that's, a, that's my theory for the water park. a long way to go to get Carrie Russell into a bathing suit. <laughs> uh, but I, I think know, you live in Las Vegas. But now, like she could be tanning in her front yard or something. But now that you say that, I think you're right. I think that's I the think whole right. reason. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. Okay. Nope. This, no, 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 no. <laughs> this is We're what not we mad do. at you. We're not mad at you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what I would know. you I'm no. gonna move us al- I'm gonna move us along and plot a little bit. A lot of stuff happens. What would you say is the inciting incident of the movie? What's the thing that happens that causes the movie to happen? I mean, I think if Adam doesn't get hit by that ray, it doesn't, the movie doesn't happen. I mean, 
So if you don't but blow up the baby, per- you don't get honey. I blew up the baby. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I think it was weird though, that like I expected him to blow up right away and it, he progressively gets bigger, which is something yeah, that have- we didn't have in the last movie. So I had the same kind of like, I also agreed that the baby growing was the inciting incident, but I was having a hard time. I was like, it feels almost like a prolonged inciting incident. Right. Because mm-hmm. you hit the baby with the laser and everything seems fine. And then, like you said, he gradually grows. You don't even, he doesn't really notice it in the car seat, except you can't get him out of the car seat. But then. Uh, it is an inciting gets, incident yeah. that none of the characters notice. That, that right. for me is the, the thing that's weird. The audience is aware something has happened. Mm-hmm. But it's very rare that like the rest of the characters don't realize they're on a journey. Their whole for them, the inciting incident is mom is away and that's causing complications. For us, mm-hmm. we know that's not what this movie is. This movie is I, I, this movie is a baby's gonna be enlarged. Uh they might have had other difficulties with with Adam. Adam wasn't an easy two-year-old to begin with. But right. but we don't have a movie unless he becomes big. So the inciting incident has to be the one the audience observes and not the one that the characters observe. They well, and I think it's it interesting later. that I think it's interesting that we have all this great dramatic irony in that and I think it's I think it's clever. I think that that alone makes this movie clever because they know that um if if Adam gets really big right away like you're going to spend what you can't spend 90 minutes of this guy. Well, I guess you could, if it was like a monster movie or whatever, Godzilla, there it is. Right. Like, Oh, like, but I think it's going to get boring. Um, well, but the he, fact that he progressively gets bigger, I mean, I think it, Oh God, he's getting bigger again. Oh, they, they come up with the solution and spoiled by the fact that he's getting even bigger. Right. Yeah. It, um, not to use horrible puns here. Cause, uh, no, we do but all the time. it does escalate the more he, oh, there it is. The more he grows. It, <laughs> yes, I do enjoy puns. But um, yeah, so but also if you the baby instantly gets bigger in the lab, you don't have a reason to bring the kid home. You're going to try and fix him there and then the movie's right. over. So I agree that they didn't, they shouldn't have noticed it right away. However, it made it hard for me personally to pinpoint. Is it when he gets hit with the laser? Is it when he first grows there the first time? Is it the microwave? Um, like what, yeah. what exactly is happening? Yeah. yeah. Yes. And I, I and just to add on to that, look, you want if you've got this premise, you want to fully explore this premise. There are a bunch of gags you can do at different heights. Uh, mm-hmm. so at, as you are build as you're building up, you don't want to skip any jokes that you could possibly do when he's a little bit bigger, where he gets stuck right. in his car seat. Or then when he gets bigger and now he's touching the ceiling of his house and then he gets even bigger and bigger and bigger. You want to, if you're going to do are, this are, movie, are you want to hit them all. You want to hit every Yeah, I mean, I, I, love the, I love the part where they go to the big and tall store and dress him up like an uncle, you know, the <laughs> uncle from Yugoslavia or whatever. It's so funny. Which is, and then the neighbors are like, <laughs> Uncle Janish. Yeah. Which is Janish. funny because the character of Uncle Janish is listed in the credits. That's hilarious. Uh, if, if you take, I, I'm, I'm sure it's the <laughs> it's the stunt double is credited as Uncle Yanish. He played the part of Uncle Yanish. I, I, I kind of dig that. So that's amazing. Look, guys, I'm not going to play around with the plot here. The baby gets bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger, and the bigger he gets, the more problems we have. That <laughs> is the plot of this movie. Along the way. There is a conflict between Wayne and kind of his boss, kind of not Dr. Hendrickson uh, at at uh, Sterling Labs. Dr. Hendrickson, whether he's Wayne's boss or not, has more power and authority than than Wayne does. And there there is definitely uh, a contentious relationship that we see as as we're going through. We've got another thread, which is about Nick's crush on Mandy. That goes through because Mandy gets hired to babysit Adam and gets more than she bargains for in the process. I'm not changing those diapers, right? <laughs> it's one of my best lines in this movie. It's great. Although, although I think there should be a sequence with a diaper change. Uh, oh, that would have been really fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like that. I understand why they didn't want to do it, but I love the idea of like, this is our toughest military operation yet. (laughs) If he gets a rash, there's not enough cream in all of Nevada. Uh, Along those lines. 
Uh, what would you guys say the climax of this movie is? And usually when we're talking about climax, we're talking about the forces of good and evil contending. Uh, I don't think that's this movie, but it's in many movies. It's the movie where we feel the moment of greatest contention, uh, greatest intensity, right? Where like things, if they go wrong, will go disastrously wrong. I mean, I think, go ahead. Please go ahead. No, for me, um, I thought that it was the moment that um, Diane appears and she has been um, enlarged and bigoned, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And she, it kind of has the clash of good and evil there, right? Because she like takes the helicopter out of the air and tells him not to shoot a gun at her kid. And um, that was the moment for me that I thought was, you know, if things were going to go wrong, it's here. Like this is their last chance to try and get the kid safely. I I think I think I'm on that same thread as you. I'm just going to say it's the moment before she appears. Like that's the resolution to the climax. But the idea mm-hmm. is Adam will get tranquilized by by the doctor. There is a problem with this this climax. First of all, I want to say Adam running rampant through Las Vegas is the best part of this movie for me. It is fantastic. That is the movie delivering everything they promised. They promised me a Godzilla style conflict where the, (laughs) where the monster was a two year old. And that part of the movie is my favorite part. Mm -hmm. The problem I have with this climax is I actually don't feel there's really any tension here. Yes. Dr. Hendrickson is going to use tranquilizer darts to knock Adam unconscious. And yes, that is despicable. But so what? So it, it would work, right? Adam Adam would get tranquilized. He'd fall asleep and they'd shrink him. It like we don't like his solution. I mean, maybe, maybe, but but he could also they could also kill him. I mean, but they don't make that I, point. And they are these really tranquilizer uh, darts? I mean, I don't get the feeling that they really are. Well, that's dark, and I love that. Right. But um, <laughs> I thought the stake was if Hendrickson gets to him first, he's going to turn him into an experiment. Right. So if Hendrickson shoots him down and he's able to uh, send his militia after the kid, then, like, yeah, it's it's over for Adam. He's going to be studied the rest of his life. Adam's going to be stu- – I got news for you. Adam's going to be studied <laughs> for the rest of his life regardless. They make this point in the first in the first – half of the movie. Dr. Zielinski, Wayne says to Nick, the reason we never told anyone that you and Amy were shrunk is we didn't want to spend the rest of your lives being studied, right? Because if you've been shrunk, Mm -hmm. that's the rest of your lives. P.S. They should be studied for the rest of their lives. What if there are long-term ramifications, Wayne Zielinski, you monster? But if that's the argument he's bringing up at the beginning, there is no way that Adam is not going to be studied, whether he's big or small. It happened to him. They need to do checkups on him. So, so what I would say, the tension, the, the yeah. tension was originally supposed to be in this movie, but it's not. Originally, uh, with the first thing that they tried to make big, got so big that it exploded. It mm-hmm. splushed and it was yeah. it was awful. The ticking clock in this movie should be there is a saturation point where if Adam gets too big, he goes kablooey. You would blow up the kid. <laughs> but the movie knows that's way too dark. So so now it's like let's avoid tranquilizing the kid. And and it just gets a little messy. I'm not worried for Adam. Whether he gets tranquilized, the other thing you could do is he'll get so big that like the earth will shift from its orbit. And like there's there's things you could do with it. He'll get so big that like his gravity. I don't know. I don't know. The movie doesn't want to put the two year old in danger. And that's right. kind of. And I think that's the I think that's the main issue. I think little kids watching this movie don't want to know that he could possibly blow up because that would mean they could possibly blow up and they don't as they grow and they don't want to do that. And so yeah, I think it yeah. And the other way you real could dark go, really quick. Other way you could go with this is it's not Adam that's the problem. Maybe Adam has maxed out his size. He might destroy Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. But they don't actually have him destroying buildings, knocking it down, like like fighting the army. That they they right. avoid all of that. Look, it's PG for frenetic action. 
but but <laughs> but it's actually like the calmest version of a giant baby that I think you could get. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and then we get so some let's... shrinking yes. action. I mean, falling action. Right. 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 Uh, <laughs> Adam, uh, in the falling action, we see that Adam has shrunk. Uh, there's a little bit of tension that they're trying to look for Nick and Mandy because they were in Adam's pocket when they when Adam got shrunk, so they got shrunk too. We see that Nick and Mandy uh, are like kind of getting flirty, flirty, uh, and clearly car. don't care that they're shrunk because they're in love. <laughs> I, I guess, although we do not get a kiss. We we do get an arm around. Well, we kind of do. She, he gets a we kiss get a on the on cheek. His. He cheek pecks him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's not enough for me. I'm sorry. I, I like <laughs> I like on the lips, uh, but you know. Uh, but but all things considered, at the very last question, we don't actually see what their lives will be like, but we do see that Big Bunny is still giant sized, and we just get the sense that while there's been some temporary chaos. Everything is going to be fine. Dr. Hendrickson has been fired. Wayne is going to do great at the job going forward. And they've solved the how do we make things grow big science question. And that takes us through the plot of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's dig into some characters. Uh, Wayne Zielinski, Rick Moranis, who we already talked about, did a really good job with improvising with this two-year-old uh, what do we think about his character in this movie? Maybe in contrast to the last movie, has he grown? Has it gotten better? He's got more yeah. of an arc, I think, in this one. Than Fair. I, and I think there's a metaphor. I think the metaphor is that for whatever reason at this company, Wayne is not... Uh, it feels small is continuously mm-hmm. made to feel small by Dr. Hendrickson. And we get this really weird in the middle of the movie uh, monologue where he starts talking about how crackpots made America great, which is, which is him standing up <laughs> to the person who's bullying him at work. And, right. beca- and look, he's positioned on the steps so that he's taller looking down right. At Dr. Right. Hendrickson, I think we're supposed to see that somehow over the course of this movie, he has learned to stand up for himself. Right. I don't know how. <laughs> I don't know how he got there, but I guess he eventually got there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's had enough. I, but I also think his wife, um, Diane, played by Marsha Strassman, who was great, um, she gives him this kind of, she'll say something and he'll be like, wait a minute, I can take care of this. And then he says exactly what she just said, which is super fun. Um, I, I think that she's sort of his engine to stand up for himself in that in that scene anyway. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. Um, notice that in this movie, they got rid of their, their marriage being problematic. Um, yeah. in, in the first movie, mm-hmm. we were meant to feel like they're almost going to get divorced. I have to tell you, she should divorce him and keep the children away from him. <laughs> what do you mean, what? I mean, the message of these movies is kind of low-key. When mom goes away, dad messes up the kids. I'm, he burns the chicken. He, you know, destroys. Yeah, that's no, true. No, he shrinks the kids, them in the, the first kids. movie. Yes, that's I true. Would, and throws them away. I would not give him a second chance after that. But if I did give him a second chance and and it happened again at a certain at a certain point you just have to be like this guy shouldn't have kids <laughs> i have a question for you why does he decide we know that when the when the when the when, the, when something goes wrong in the experiment to make something bigger uh the thing explodes and goes splushy so wing mm-hmm. decides to take adam's big bunny his favorite doll, and make that the subject of the experiment? What if it failed and you destroyed your kid's doll, Wayne Zielinski? And- yeah. I was noticing, so one of the points of the first movie was that Wayne was kind of a, he was a little bit of an absent-minded dad because mm-hmm. he was so focused on his experiments. It seems in this movie, he's much more attentive to both of his sons um, you know, he wants to make Nick feel more adjusted. He's spending all kinds of time being sweet with Adam and improvising ABCs and restaurant games. Um, 
So the, then his misstep for me was, yeah, you took your kid. The kid said, no, you can't take my bunny. And he still takes the bunny. I'm like, you don't have anything else in this lab that you could blow up besides your kids. Are there any pencils? Are there any pencils? There are no pencils. The one father, right. The one fatherly misstep besides, of course, then accidentally blowing up his child. Right. Um, it was kind of a, yeah, it was his kids to the lab is child endangerment. They should not be there. He shouldn't even be there legally. He's made them accessories to his crime. I love Rick Moranis. I would be friends with Wayne Zielinski. But when Dr. Hendrickson says there needs to be some reckless endangerment laws, he's uh, charges against Wayne Zielinski. He's, he's not, not wrong. wrong. Uh, that's funny. I'm just uh Diane Zielinski, Marcia Strassman, we mentioned her uh, a little bit earlier, but she, I love the gag where she continues to faint whenever something happens with the kids. That's fun. There's, she has more her to do. Her fainting, she did. Her fainting is fine. Three women fainted at the sight of this giant baby yes. in this movie. I was like, please, it's fine for Diane. Nobody like, else there is, to faint. Thank there you. is <laughs> thank definitely you. some misogyny in this movie. Uh, there's a, there's another point that bothered me more than the women fainting, but we'll deal with that in a second. <laughs> sure. Uh, but but it does. Wait, well, well, it's a different character. But oh, it does okay. it does seem to me like what this movie is saying again and again is that women, when shocked, like cannot process it, and men are cooler about that sort of thing, and that is yuck. That yeah, is okay. shout out to Julia Sweeney for being the one woman who did not faint <laughs> good. Uh, in in this movie. When a- <laughs> good for her. For sure. I, know, I, I might faint just to say. <laughs> Look, I give me some men that faint also, and I think yeah. it, mm-hmm. it gets fixed, right? Yeah. Like it's that it is specifically the women in this movie who pass out from shock, and the men all kind of take it in stride, maybe take off their glasses. Uh, to get it to get a second look, I mean that that sort of. Thing. I mean, I think it's a callback to, and, and it is misogyny, but it is a callback to those 1950s movies, you know, with the blob or whatever, when all the women scream <laughs> and fall over, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. faint oh, that away. Sure. It's super fun. Yeah, we are definitely sending up those 50, 50 movie tropes. Like, there's yes. tons of this thing. Beca- attack of the colossal man, sort of. Absolutely. Yes, for yes. sure. Yes, the attack of the fifty foot woman. Right. It's, right. Yeah, it's all there. Uh, Adam Zielinski, who I think is masterfully played by uh, Daniel and Joshua Shakalar, right? Shalakar. Yes. I, I mean, he's not so much a character as he is probably a real two-year-old trying trying to discern <laughs> what is reality and what is fantasy. Um, the, his perf- I think his performance is as good as you can get from a pair of two-year-olds. I, oh, yeah. I think that's probably right. I would also say... It also made me think, why not just make it a cartoon? I kept thinking to myself, this would be much easier to do. I, it might be more expensive, but but well, it's hard. It's hard to I get a this, great performance from a two-year-old. I had this conversation with my husband when we were watching it. And like one of the charming parts of this movie for us is that this is still mechanically happening. This is still, uh, you know, it's not CGI. It's not a cartoon. It's actually, they're, they're physically making this happen uh, in, in lots of, using lots of, of different kinds of camera styles and things like that. And, and perspective. I, yeah. Yep. 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 And I think, I think there's something lovely about that because I think there is a kind of, well, how did they do that uh, aspect of it that is interesting to the young scientists maybe watching this movie? Um, versus, oh, they just drew it in or, oh, they just made, you know, they just made it what it is. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's what I think. I mean, yeah. but he, he, oh, Ashley, please. He's so cute. The moment where he, you know, gets shocked by the guitar and starts crying, like oh. absolutely broke my heart. Like, yeah. um, I've been thinking the whole time. He's so happy. Like this is a big game for him. He doesn't know that he's in danger or people are trying to take him down. He's having so much fun. And then he gets shocked by that guitar and like, you know, he's so sad and scared and alone and nobody can come comfort him. I was just like, like my oh. whole heart went out to the poor little baby, he has, poor giant baby. He has great authentic giggles. I, yes. I really love that. If there's one thing that I would add to this and look, how do you get it? How do you get it from a two year old? I would love for there to have been, 
as as much as it as much as this is about a mother and son coming together in the climax, I feel mm-hmm. that the relationship that's most frayed for Adam is his relationship with his big big brother Nick, mm-hmm. and the idea that like you know now I'm the big brother and you're the little brother, but at the end of right. the day, Adam just wants to be like his big brother and do the mm-hmm. things he wants to play the guitar because his big brother plays the guitar. That's right. You, that's you know right. he he wants like. Like, I feel like that's kind of missed here because how do you get that in the performance? And really what I'd like to see in this movie is Adam and Nick's brotherly bond is strengthened. Yeah, there's a there's another part here, too, where when Diane's taking Amy to college, like Amy doesn't say goodbye to the baby. Diane doesn't say goodbye to the baby. Like nobody said it's like it's almost like the baby is like the dog. Like, okay, yeah, there's somebody here to take care of this and out here, the babysitter, call that person. That's really important. But she gets in the cab and she never, she never hugs her kid goodbye. And I'm like, that is so weird. It is weird. It is weird. Uh, So I don't know know if this is like, if if this is trying, if that climax is trying to solve that problem, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe the boy. The kid doesn't have a big separation anxiety from being separated from his mother. No. Maybe what should immediately happen is mom leaves and Adam throws a tantrum because he misses his mommy. And dad has to be like, it's going to be okay. Mommy's going to come back. But then you set up in the third act that that's what Adam, Adam should be looking for mommy. The whole movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, that where's, would be fun. Yeah. Where's mommy? He sees a picture of where mommy's going, and that's where he's headed. He's going to find mommy. We should also... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Now that I'm saying this, it becomes clear to me, Adam should pick up his mom and climb the Empire State Building. <laughs> <laughs> Except for in Las Vegas, right? So. Well, well, you know, you changed the setting. I mean... Bit. Was, Tower, was maybe. New York, New York there in uh oh, maybe. maybe there you go. Maybe. There's there's uh yeah, there's the Empire State Building, a fake one, but yeah, it's there. They're there. Uh Nick Zelinsky, Robert Oliveri. Does he I think does a great job in this movie. I, I, I like that he's also like still sciencey smart the way he was in the first movie. That actually mm-hmm. he's the one who comes up with the idea of diffusing uh the the ray gun to make the growing work mm-hmm. uh so, so, like 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 he and they don't make enough of a meal of just how smart he is in favor of focusing on the fact that he's got a crush on the girl but i actually feel like this movie should be pushing towards a place where he has his own crackpot idea just like his dad that that in so i i feel like that's that's where the character should be headed um, you know, he, so really, okay. This, I mean, I think me. it's, I, I think the it's idea should fun, be, though. I'm not Go like ahead. my dad. My dad is a nerd. I'm not like my dad. I'm not like my dad. And then midway through the movie, the thing that's going to save us is I'm just like my dad. That feels like what the arc should be for this. I think it's supposed to be in there because I, I get so a too. little bit of that. Um, I think my favorite part of this movie is when, I mean, again, he offers her a chocolate that's stuffed in Adam's thing. And she says, I'm going to diet. And he goes, raisin. And I'm like, it's like, his, it's like, and you realize, oh, Nick's been through this before. It's like, oh yeah, I'm shrunk. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll work out. <laughs> so, uh, Also almost gotten eaten by a member of his family yes, twice. Yes, so. yes. So oh that, my gosh. That's something, that's something to put on a resume, isn't it? <laughs> He's, they need to invest in a therapist ASAP for that kid. I have to tell yeah. you, the uh, accidental cannibalism, almost cannibalism in both of these <laughs> movies makes my heart stop both times. Just imagining what happens if it act like if you discovered that you accidentally ate your family member, what that would do to you. I I don't know. I don't know. It bothers me. It bothers me. uh, It probably should. Um, The thing with Nick and also with a lot of characters in this movie is that like we see hints of an arc, but it's not like I want to see Nick fully rebelling, like going against what his dad wants to do, like saying, I'm not going to be like my dad, but it's like, He's trying to play the guitar, but he's he's perfectly fine going to his dad's lab. He gets into it trying to figure out, you know, oh, use the Coke bottle. 
Mm-hmm. He's very helpful. He's annoyed with Adam, but then he's also really tender towards Adam when he covers him with the blanket. Like he's, there's not enough of a rebellion and a conflict within Nick's own self. You know what? That's it would be so yeah. great to see a picture of Nick in, from the first movie, who's dressed like a little scientist, just like his dad, right next to his dad. And then when we see teen Nick, he's dressed like a rock and roll star. He's got a leather jacket. Uh, his hair is all spiky, but he still has the glasses because he's trying to rebel. And, and you know, Wayne could be like, we used to be so close. And now, so, yes, yes. Yeah, I, and I, and like I wonder, that. too, what the presence of Adam does to this story. Um, it's like, um, if you get the performances that you're getting, like, how do you have to shift and grow and change things during production? Yeah. I mean, I think it might be too a- upsetting for the little well, kid. Yeah, it might be. Okay, can, yeah. Can I throw out my really radical question? Cause I want to hear what you guys think. Bring it. I almost feel like having the kid who gets blown up be so young, two years old was almost kind of a mistake. Cause you can't do anything. He can't go on any sort of journey he doesn't know really what's happening to him. You can't have anything too distressing happen to him. Like you pointed out earlier, I think Larry, that like um, you can't even really have any sort of discussion of the relationship between the brothers because Adam's so little. I kind of wondered if Adam was a little bit older, you know, mm-hmm. could have more, you know, fully formed thought processes. What is Adam? He doesn't need get to be a teenager, but like, what does Adam get out of this? What does Nick get out of this? Um, you know, can you do, I don't know. Can you do more with a slightly older kid to make the stakes feel a little bit higher? Like to make him more, I don't know. I was just kind of wondering, I feel like they limited themselves having a two-year-old be the kid that got blown up, but I wonder what I mean, you Fair think. enough. Fair enough. Um, it's, it's a great question. I, I think you're right because the truth of the matter is Adam won't remember these events. He'll see pictures of it. There'll be footage on the news. But yeah. Like, is he going to, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. He'll be wondering why he has to go in the lab every week for medical exams. But a five-year-old who's always been told you're too little to do this. This is what your brother can do this, but you can't. You're too little. You're too little. Too, you're too little. He becomes big and then realizes that being little is probably pretty good for him right now. Uh, Problem is, and, and I'm glad we have Ashley here from General Hospital uh, to help us with that, is the timeline when you have a child that's born to the Zelenskys, right? And it's three years <laughs> later, and this child's two, right? I mean, I think that that was probably something they wrestled with. Now, if this was so General a Hospital. Disease, <laughs> a very common disease in the world that I don't know if you're aware of is soap opera rapid aging syndrome. <laughs> it affects us all. But I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, but <laughs> you can't, you can't do that in this movie, but, but who cares? Play with, I don't know what year it was in honey. I shrunk the kids and I don't know what year it is. Now, like you're saying it's three years later, make it five yeah. years later, make it six okay. years later. Who ca- like get the kid that you like, like that sort of, yeah. there's a lot of that sort of logic with games that are being played here. But ultimately you like, if it's going to change the shape of the movie, you just have to let it go. Because I also, think I like, think they're doing it in real time. I think they're thinking, okay, this is in real life right now, right now happening. We've got this mm-hmm. thing, you know, this can happen to you if you go to Disney World. This can ha- in this moment. So yeah, I think I think that's the idea there. Maybe sorry. I understand sorry, why they. No, I understand why they did it. And I like you know, aside from soap opera rapid aging syndrome, I don't know how you overcome that. But I did think that there were some limitations with having the kid that this happened to be so young. However. In every 80s and 90s sitcom, they had a baby for one season, and the next season it was five years old. So Good, good, call. You know, maybe, good call. Maybe people would have bought it. Maybe. Can I, can I just throw up one other issue? It's related to this kid's issue sort of thing. Sure, sure. So one of the nice things about Honey, I Shrunk the, kid, it, shrunk the Kids is you shrink the kids, and then they go into this other world. Which, where everything, like they're seeing, for for all intents and purposes, they go to Oz. They're in the front lawn, but the grass is big. They're dealing with ants. We really go from one world to another world in that movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These kids never leave our world. Um, They're never isolated in the way they were isolated in the first movie. Right? So the parents are always there. Uh, I right. mean, they're always nearby. And, and I just, I just look, you're going in the what opposite the- direction. You're going bigger. So where's he going to go? I get it. But I do, I do feel like there's something we get to Las Vegas too late because if, if entering Las Vegas, if 
the kids moved a while ago. But if we mm-hmm. actually saw they were living in their old house and then they moved to Las Vegas, then we get the entry to another wild world because mm-hmm. Las Vegas is so visually different than suburbia. I wonder if we want to see them like they're in Las Vegas for another convention uh, and and they're they're shocked at this new world. And then the baby gets big. That's Just interesting. A- yeah, that's the thought. I mean, Nick and Mandy do get to be together in their own little world um, in the car uh, somewhat. But yeah, I see your point. Mandy Park, Carrie Russell, we always we already talked about the uh, the ick factor with the male gaze part. She is clearly going to grow up to be gorgeous, but I don't mm-hmm. like how much we're sexualizing her. She's She's supposed to be 14 here. Yeah. She was 16 at the time of filming. But the character so, is 14, like, right? The character's probably younger than that, but it's not even like she was herself. Right. Was of age. Yeah. Um, so, and the, I looked this up. The part that, that I was very bothered. The other, the other part that makes me look, you can tell me to get over myself and I'll get over myself. That Nick ties her down and gags her. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Like, I uh, I understand what you're going for, but there's the, there's this idea that women become so hysterical that men must physically restrain them from be- like that for me was too much. Mm-hmm. I I understand that someone might think that that is a funny visual and that it's okay. I would never forgive anybody who tied me to a chair and put duct tape on my on my mouth uh that kiss that he gets from her at the end of the movie feels more like stockholm syndrome to me (laughs) we've had a very (laughs) intense circumstance uh and i i just i just find that whole part of it yuck it is an it is an ick moment for nick isn't it and there's a better way to do it lock her in the giant pit uh playpen that was built for Adam. Like, like I put you in here. As soon as you come down, I'll let you out. That's better than tying and gagging her. They mm-hmm, actually mm-hmm. have a they have a structure in the house designed for restraining people. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Yeah. yeah. All right, uh, the Sterling people, Sterling Labs, uh, Doctor Hendrickson. Um, I loathe him. I hate. He is. He's pretty awful. I mean, it's a great performance. Because we're supposed to loathe him, right? Right. But but he is like the entire time when when um, Diane punches him at the end of the movie. Like I don't know that there's anyone in the theater who doesn't cheer at that point. Right. It's right. Just right. kind of want to. By the same yeah. token, I also felt he was a real person. I I think there are real people like Doctor Hendrickson in oh, the world. Oh sure. For sure. He's not really villainous. He's just slimy. He's pretty he's pretty disgusting yeah, he's, for sure. He's wrapped up in himself, you know. He wants he wants the power. He's like he's technically, I think he says at one point he's co-director on this project, but he's like, you don't get any sense that there's any sort of co going on there. No. He's in charge. He's plotting to take over the company from uh Sterling, you know, with the he was with the board guy, director's guy. Yeah. Yes. I think his name is Wheeler, but I was also putting in acronyms for half the characters whose names I wasn't catching. Board, um, I have board, board guy. guy. <laughs> board guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he's like, he's plotting. He's only into himself. He's like the one person in the movie who doesn't seem affected by the fact that this is just a big toddler. He's very mm-hmm. focused on, I'm going to take this baby down and then I'm going to be head of the lab. Like, mm-hmm. I, I have a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Why do they want to, like so, they they want to grow things. Why? Why do they want to make things big? Oh, they're growing those crystals, right, or whatever they are. They were trying to get those bigger. Why? I'm not sure why they need what the crystals. Purpose? I'm not because sure crystals are why, crystals are important. Explanation. It just <laughs> I so there like, sure I, is. <laughs> I I this I I just. I know that at the end of the first movie, they were able to grow food bigger because they have that big Thanksgiving feast with the gigantic turkey. Right. So why do they need things to be giant-sized? I guess they're doing it because they want to see if they can. Um, 
I, I guess I can't pull too much on this thread because if they don't want to do it, we don't have a movie. That's but, right. Yeah. But like, but what is the they, urgency? Are we worried that like some other country will make things bigger for, I just don't know. I just don't they know. They kind of, uh, well, it, this, it's undermined. It undermines itself, but they kind of say in the early scene between board guy and Hendrickson that this, um, Sterling is really obsessed with this and he has all these harebrained ideas to the point where the board isn't really confident in him anymore. Mm. Um, but you still don't know why Sterling decided to do this. And Hendrickson still seems very like, he's still very invested in this. No one's like, they're not saying we, this is not worthwhile and we should be moving on. They still want to do it, but mm -hmm. it was also Sterling's harebrained idea. So yeah. Hard to know. I don't. I don't know. I have a question for you guys. It's a big one. Uh, Amy Zelinsky, Amy O'Neill, who I like, is it like right? I was excited to see her again. I enjoyed her in she, the first movie. Yeah, but why? Why is she in this movie? Why is she in this movie? <sighs> like all like you, everything, she was in the first else, one. Everything else in this movie is set up and paid off, except for Amy. Also, can I talk about something that really bothered me with the Amy, the five minutes she was in this movie? Sure. Is that this was like the most no big deal she's going off to college ever. Like, girl is hopping a plane somewhere far away and they all act like her mom's insane for wanting to get her go settled in. The dad, you know, everyone. It felt to me like she's going to summer camp. It Once your child has like, been shrunk and put in the lawn. <laughs> Going away to college is no big deal, Ashley. It's no big deal. Yeah, it's, it's like, not it's like, like she's care. at the it's, ant yeah. colony again. Uh, no, but I hear you. <laughs> fine, but, but fine. Why not? Just there's not a lot have... of love. There's not a lot of love in this family, right? At the beginning, yeah. which this, was really kind of everybody sort of detached from one another. This movie assumes that we are fanatical about Honey, I Shrunk the Kids to the point where if they don't address that Amy is going off to college. We're going to spend the rest of the movie saying, what happened to their oldest daughter? Where they could just have a line saying, Amy is a... But here's the thing. They messed this up. Because all you need is a line saying, Amy's away at college. That's all you need. But because I saw her in the beginning of the movie, I kept thinking, surely she is going to come back into the story right, at some right. point. At some point, she'll turn on the news and see her baby brother is destroying the strip in Las Vegas right. and get involved in the story somewhere. And she I mean, doesn't. Nick's, Nick's already said to me, or Mandy's already said to Nick, your dad must be the most famous person in the world right now. There's no way Amy does not know about this at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, even and with I, the, you know, the, the technology challenges of, uh, having of her, 1992, right? Having her in this movie makes me ask more questions than it answers. And mm -hmm. and we would just accept, oh, she's at college. P.S. She's not in this movie. Don't think about her anymore. But Done. a great payoff idea that I have is that they're back, the family's back together, and you're seeing them really connect again uh, after this crazy ordeal. Yes. And a and Amy comes home, you know, maybe, maybe it is Thanksgiving again, and Amy comes home and says... So what I miss. You know? <laughs> the Zelinskis are too nice to each other. At the beginning of the movie, Amy should say, I cannot wait to be away from you people. I, right. I, I just want right. something that's normal. I'm going to go away to college and be like <laughs> everybody else and not have to deal yes. with all of this crazy science stuff. And right. then midway through the movie, her brother is destroying downtown Las Vegas, and she's the closest one. The rest of the family's got to get there, so she's got to find a way. She's like, she's like, no, my, I, I just realized I need to be there to protect my family. And she goes to help Adam. I mean, maybe Adam picks her up and climbs New York, New yeah, York, or, uh, or, or something. Or Nick, yeah, or Nick has a, you know, Nick, she needs... She's the one that helped save Nick, and right because I uh, get yeah, something. But I, I just feel like it's it's kind of lost. She I don't could know. even she could even you could even do the same thing with her. She's like, love being part of this family. Glad I get to leave while there's a baby in the house. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. like, like you know, you've been leaning on me to do a lot of the babysitting. 
you know, and, and I've been Adam's unofficial babysitter for all this time. I'm looking forward to being away from it. And then yeah, why can't, I, why I can't my Adam just miss, why can't Adam miss Amy? Like, that why would can't be, it, yeah, that that's would be almost better. Amy's away at yeah. college and yeah. Adam goes to find Amy. Yeah. Oh, they just don't want to make any of the characters have edges or flaws. Yeah. And I get it. It's a PG movie, but, but there's lessons to be learned from watching people overcome their flaws. Sure. The metaphor mm-hmm. of being big as a little kid is I get to be bigger than my brother and sister. Right. What is that like? I've never been bigger than them before. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pitch time. You. Pitch time. So given the whole of this franchise and the proposed sequel shrunk, which is supposedly in development and potentially in production right now, uh, what would we do with this material? Ooh. Who wants to go first on this one? Uh, I have a pitch, but I don't really want to go first. I'll go first. Uh, okay, Larry, <laughs> go first. All right, okay. here is my opening. Here is my pitch. I want the one thing that this movie doesn't do, which is, yes, we made the kid bigger, but also Dr. Hendrickson should try out the the growing thing, the growing machine, and reproduce the experiment on like a little animal, a tiny little iguana, uh, a little a little salamander, and it should also grow bigger and bigger and bigger, so that just at the point where we're we've gotten Adam under control and we're about to shrink him, suddenly a Godzilla-like monster is destroying downtown downtown Las Vegas, and the only one who can stop him is the giant two-year-old. So you get dad up on Adam's shoulder or mom or Nick or whoever, Jiminy Cricket style, and we do it. We do baby versus Godzilla, and it would be amazing. (laughs) That's my pitch. I would would go see that. I would go see that. that. All right, Ashley, what do you got? Okay, uh, so my pitch was, honey, I shrunk my boss. <laughs> and <laughs> Great title. <laughs> um, so for Injustice for Amy, and also because this made more sense time-wise as to go back to what Andy was saying, I think Amy um, has Amy... Okay, so Amy in college discovered her love of science and STEM like her dad. But, um, you know, graduating in the 90s, perhaps there were fewer opportunities for women. And she ended up just getting married and being a stay-at-home mom with her kids. But now her last kid has gone off to college. She's an empty nester. She wants to get back to work. Again, so she goes. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> her dad, um, she ends up getting a job at a lab thanks to her now famous dad, Wayne's uh, connections. But her boss is a younger woman who looks down on Amy because Amy is an older woman getting back into the field. Um, you know, it was like very upset that she's also like a Nepo baby, you know, used your only hair because of your dad and Amy shrinks the boss, but then Amy does not regrow the boss because Amy sees an opportunity here. So in the boss being shrunk, um, it's kind of like a ratatouille to the situation. She's like, you know, I need you because I just started here and I don't know anything about, (laughs) like, I don't know anything about what we're, you know. I know what we're doing, but like not to the depths of you. So I need you, but I'm telling these people that you left me in charge. So if anything goes wrong, it's going to be you that's fired. So Amy has the power going to her head. The boss has the experience of being little and seeing what happens when like she belittles her employees. Um, And over the course of the movie, nobody faints. This is very important. Nobody faints. But then they come together. They realize that women supporting each other is better than women being at each other's throats. I love it. And somehow at the end, they save the day. Nice. That's amazing. That's amazing. Those are both equally good and <laughs> far better than mine. Um, so my pitch is that Adam and Nick and Amy grow up and they have these genetic, weird genetic mutations that start happening uh, in middle age because of their oh, growth Lord. experiences, that, which are causing all kinds of troubles. And at first they think it's just like, you know, uh, menopause or whatever, but they have families and kids now and their kids end up shrinking them with their latest uh, entertainment technology. And so we could have, uh, honey, I shrunk the whatever again, but, uh, but just kind of a honey, different we're shrunk again. I mean, we're shrunk again. There it is. So 
Wow. Yes. So that's my idea. I think it would be fun to kind of reprise all of that. And um, it would be tough because, again, Marsha Strassman is now no longer with us. But um, I think it would be fun to bring Rick Moranis back. And I hope I hope when they're doing Shrunk that they they do some of that. Have yeah. some fun with some of that. I mean, that's so. that's the main thing. These movies are meant to be rides more than they are. Uh, yes. Analyze the way that we're analyzing them. Uh, Absolutely. And there really this does. Fluff. There really does need to be a Disney World experience about shrinking and growing again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I think that's right, too. It was super fun. Like, I miss that ride so much. Yeah. It was so good. I would love to walk around a miniature Las Vegas and pretend like I'm huge and get to play the Hard Rock Cafe guitar. And That would be great. And then move to a... Then move to a different park where I'm sliding down grass and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. coming up with giant ants. Like I would like that. Imagineers, you can have us. Let us know. <laughs> Let us know. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for being here with us. You are you you brought a lot to this. We really really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. That was good. I'm glad you had a good time. Well, Larry. Yes, Andy. I usually this is the place where I say, "Hey, what are we doing next week?" <laughs> we are doing my favorite Disney movie, TBA, uh, which which I I love uh, because you never know what you're going to get with TBA. Every time you do TBA, it's different. It, it's just been a wild, wacky summer with a lots going on with uh, our guests and our families, and so um, we're just we're just playing it by ear every but, every episode. But if you really want to know, check out our Facebook fan book page, and we'll let you know if we know uh, what the assignment is for that week. Absolutely. So if you like what you're hearing, you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan. And like Larry said, you can check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. Drop a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. No nap! <laughs> <laughs>